Let them know with Joe, season two, episode three. We got Toby Castle in the house. What's up, Toby? Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. The Astros won today, um, game one against the A's. I'm glad that the uh, Twins could be a speed bump. <laughs> yeah, they were just a little bit of a speed bump. Um, if some of y'all don't know, Toby is a um, Minnesota Twins. Minnesota oh. Twins fan? Yeah, Minnesota, mm-hmm. Minnesota Twins fan, and um, we beat them in the wild card uh, series, first series. and Was it 2-2? Yep. Yep, yep. I mean, I think that goes to show the extent to which I really f- don't follow baseball. It's okay. Um, I'm wearing an Astros shirt right now. Carlos Correa hit two home runs in uh, this game. Is that the guy who's on the back of that shirt Yes, as well? Carlos okay. Correa, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best shortstops to ever play the game, and so he kills it. Now the shortstop is within the diamond, right? Yep. Okay, it's great. between first, I mean, second and third base. Okay. Uh, or sometimes they move around now nowadays, but usually is first, second, shortstop, third. Okay. I'm a cricket guy, but yeah. I, I do like my twins when they had what? Kirby Puckett? I don't know. I don't yeah, know yeah, about anything about the Twins. Yeah, good. Don't care much about them. Cool. We are drinking um, Let Them Know with Joe Holbein. Um, it's the one that we're giving away for the for the prize, which Lester Parmar ended up winning. I saw that. Can people get you a mugs as well? Yes. Online, www.letthemknowwithjoe.com. I love it. Uh, you can get a mug and just enjoy your coffee with it. Let's, I'm going to have a taste of it. Pretty good. It's a medium roast, and I like it. It's really good. Um, how you been, Toby? Very well. Very well. Very Living well. here in America. Living in America, San Francisco, on, yeah. the, on the coldest side of the bay. That's true. Um, when we first met and chatted, we were... Well, let me actually say, when we first met, it was at church, but when we first like actually hung out and had some good chats, it was at a taco shop. In the mission with amazing tacos and cokes. Yeah, I think the thing that drew us to that space was, uh, I think they only do tacos or like tacos are their specialty. A hundred percent. But it was the Mexican coke. Yeah, I mean, real sugar. You can't sugar ever cake. go wrong with real Mexican coke no. with real sugar. It's no. the best. The one in the glass bottle is probably the best coke you'll mm-hmm. ever taste in your entire life. I actually don't think I've had coke since. I definitely have had Cokes okay. since. I've had quite a few Cokes since then, and it's been good. Good. I've been loving it. Um, cool. So you moved here mm-hmm. this year? I did. I moved here in March. In March. And you got married this year as well. I got married uh, five days after I moved. Yeah, wow. That's yep. amazing. Yep. And then you've been married during the whole length of the pandemic. Uh, as Kelly says, um, for anyone who gets married... Uh, we recommend six months of quarantine. It's amazing. It is. I love it. I it do. Is a gift. I will end up doing that too. <laughs> Hopefully by then, um, I will have enough PTO built up so I can take six months off and then just. Well, you know, I'm not sure if you can do that over yeah, here, but so. uh, if you have three months equivalent, you take it at half time and then you can get six months. So, <laughs> you know. In Australia, they have really good, um, like, PTO stuff, right? We do. We have mandated everyone has to take four weeks off a year. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't even get that much just like to have here. That sucks. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, cool. Toby, you're wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. I, I love am. it. Yes. Thank you. Uh, I'm wearing an Astro shirt. I love it. Yeah. Thanks. Yep. Um, 
let's get right into it. So I know you studied quite a bit of, um, just tell me, tell me your, your whole, um, I guess, journey in regards to uh, what you've been studying and everything, if that sure. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So um, I wasn't always uh, a nerd. I was actually quite the opposite. Um, love my sports. Play, like if there was a team sport that had a ball, I would play that team sport. Um, You're a big fan of basketball, aren't you? Big fan of basketball. Basketball, soccer, uh, football. Uh, rugby, rugby league, American football. American football. I'm learning. I am a Giants fan, but we'll get back to why I like certain teams later on. Okay, fair. Um, it's kind of like a rule of life thing. Um, but it would have been probably 2012 when um, the idea of uh, going back and doing a graduate program uh, kind of came across my home plate. I was a high school basketball coach for. Uh, six or seven years and we were fairly successful like I coached both the varsity men's and women's teams Uh, we won some state championships and every year or two would come over to the U.S. do like a basketball tour for like two or three weeks and myself and uh, our athletic director would literally like open up a map and be like whereabouts in the U.S. do we want to go and like and create a trip um How'd you do in those tournaments or when you play those? It depends on the players that I had. Like um, there was a a women's team that I coached who uh, we didn't lose. Nice. On one trip. The following trip, the uh, women's team didn't win a game. So um, like, you know, it was hit and miss. Some of my players that I coached went on to college. Um, So like it, it was really dependent on the cattle that I had. Um, But I realized at like the age of 28 that I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. So I realized that I need to pivot um, and realized that, uh, that like, you know, that my body could fail me. um, But probably the greatest gift that I've been given, which I think we've all been given is our brain. Mm. So how could I cultivate that? So um, I had the opportunity to apply to a number of, master's programs i got uh offered a scholarship to dallas theological seminary hey let's go texas but, but was never called the texas mm, that's fair um so then that kind of piqued my interest in other programs and uh then began a program at fuller in la okay uh, which is a master's of global leadership and which was a leadership and a theology degree um right. so in doing that um I had thought that I was going to do like my dissertation on uh, something very evangelical, something very conservative, and something right. very white, like spiritual formation. Um, <laughs> it is very white. <laughs> little, little did I realize that um, that wasn't what God had in store. So right. um, I moved to the U.S. Uh, so I quit my job, uh, moved to the U.S., and in a very short time found myself... Um, kind of understanding more so what it meant to be white in society because in because back in australia probably your race wasn't the first thing uh that you identified yourself with um and so what i started to learn was that different social and anthropological structures uh emphasize different characteristics about certain people here in the u.s very on um on the front foot in a very kind of explicit way 
race is probably the number one thing that people identify with, talk about, um, and uh, you know tend to move, act, and be in the world. Do you feel like is um, do you feel like gender is kind of coming up to be that number one thing? Absolutely. In a um, in a class that I teach on um, black liber- black liberation theology, we uh, try to contextualize these what I call pillars of privilege. Right. Um, I'd say that in Australia, that like the you know the probably the most dominant thing that people identify with is their gender, uh, then probably their sex, you know, which are two different things. Right. Then probably their race. Wow. Um, in it, in here in the US, it's race, uh, then gender, then sex. Right. Um, but it's interesting how that happens. Yeah, but there's always one thing that, for a lack of a better phrase, trumps everything. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Money. Oh, uh, yep. Like a person's socio socioeconomic status will always uh, give them the ticket into certain spaces and places that um, that they wouldn't gain access to if they didn't have it. Right. Wow, that's so interesting. Just how what 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 do you think makes a difference between like Australia being like more of um, starting like the way that they identify themselves is um, you said gender mm-hmm. and sex and then race but here it's more race than mm-hmm. gender than sex what what do you think that that is here in the states uh, I think we all that we always need to look at our context based on um, the historical social context okay so. Australia was never built on like a fundamental war. Uh, a colonial power, the British, came in, mm. uh, raped and pillaged um, Australian Aboriginals. But, but there was no kind of like civil war or right. uh, war of freedom or um, they just kind of moved in, settled and carried on and then became a federation in 1901. Uh, US was very different. That's true. Um, to be honest, you probably know more of U.S. history than I do. Well, yeah, like slavery started in 1619. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with the transatlantic slave trade and then, uh, you know, the way that the Americans uh, in the Revolutionary War wanted to separate themselves from the British, um, it was a very different narrative that uh, caused and s- set up these political, social and and economic structures that we're living in today jeez that's crazy there's a lot of a lot of stuff we can talk to you about yeah, and we'll get into that in a bit but just so you um studied at fuller in la yep and you did your master's there mm-hmm. i did a master and then did a second one in theology okay and now i'm doing a doctorate wow and which is currently on pause at the moment because uh, while I'm waiting for my green card, I'm just you know being mm. patient, not not earning any money, and uh, waiting patiently for the US to kind of process me through. Um, so Kelly's basically paying for everything for you. Right Kelly now. is paying for everything, <laughs> man. You know, that's amazing. Is, absolutely. Um, I know that you did teach a little bit in Australia at our college that we went to at Hillsong College. Hillsong College, yep. correct? Yep. Um, I remember talking to. Well, what, what did you actually teach there? So I was a, I was a guest lecturer. Okay, your guest that lecturer. That I would uh, teach uh, in ethics, black theology, uh, contextual theology, um, and New Testament. Right. 
Um, and so I would probably come in and teach maybe once every three or four months for, and mainly to third years and students in the master's program. I heard um, that the black theology class was one of the best classes they had with you. Uh, whoever said that, thank, <laughs> thank you. They loved it a lot. Yeah. Um, can you explain a little bit more what that actually means in regards to black theology? Because I'm, I'm very... Um, I just don't know much about it, so you, I would love to hear more about that. Totally. Um, so, black liberation theology uh, is like a contextual, lib- um, liberative interpretation of how we read scripture. Founded by James Cone. James Cone was uh, a professor of ethics at Union Theological Seminary. Um, and uh, he basically put forward this idea uh, in how we read scripture that um that it must be read through the black experience right so i would always begin a class by saying very explicitly um my role here is not to uh, talk about the narrative in what it means to be black live black so on and so forth because you are very white dude i am like my ethnic <laughs> for those that are listening he's very white <laughs> my my ethnic background as not only being Australian is like, I've got a lot of Scottish in me, a touch right. of Irish, some Southern English, a bit of Scandinavian. Mm. Um, so, mate, um, I'm as white as the background of the Ace of Spades. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Very um, fair. And so, um, when I teach it, I teach the theory of it. Right. Um, and, I, and I firmly do believe that the context that God has brought me to and the narrative that I've uh, lived is one that uh, people who look, act, and sound like me, uh, whether it's Aussie or American, male or female, uh, that we definitely need examples of what it looks like to uh, live in the context of... There's that motorcycle you were talking about. Yeah, motorcycle always. Um, To live in the context of theology and justice within the... within the realms of race. Right. Um, and so then have a critical race theory of how we interpret scripture. Wow. Uh, so uh, Cone would say that as you read the Bible, that uh, he, uh, we do not read it uh, neutrally. No one does. Yeah. No, no one interprets scripture in an objective way. And I tend to agree, it's impossible. Uh, there can be agreeable ways in which we interpret it and have our hermeneutics right which is like the theological term for how you interpret it um but cone would say that he would read it first and foremost understanding that he's black and understanding his social context in then how he interprets wow the bible i remember um having a class with katrina henderson and she had she blew my mind because you know i didn't really i didn't take any other college anything before i went to hillsong college and one thing that she said about reading the Bible, which I'll never forget, and I always remember and always try to read it this way, was God, them, us, me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you read the Bible. What is God saying there? What does that mean for them at that time? Mm-hmm. And then what does that mean for us as a church now? And then from there, now what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. Where do you find that the um, the social economics and the even the race falls in, into that? Would that be when it gets to me or would that be a little bit further out to maybe where it's them at that time as well. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I think what Black Liberation Theology offers us is it needs to take into account the 
social context that, that we are reading it in, not only as individuals, but as a community. Right. Uh, so p- whether it was Karl Barth or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the quote goes that we need to read the Bible in one hand, newspaper yeah, that's in great. the other. Right? I love that quote, yeah. Uh, we would probably reimagine that in the 21st century as we would read the Bible in one hand, Instagram or Twitter in the <laughs> <Yeah>. other hand. <laughs> Legit, yeah. Or TikTok or, you know. Um, and I, I think to kind of critique what Katrina Henderson says, n- not to say that's wrong, right, but, right. but like... For sure. But what we try and do in academics is put forward an idea and then constantly refine it. Right. So the art of critique is not being critical. Something which I think the church doesn't know how... How to kind of grasp. Yeah. Well, it doesn't really know how to understand that space of if a person's asking a question or pushing back or critiquing, their immediate response is like, oh, you have an offended spirit. Right. And it's like, no, like we're just trying to kind of seek understanding. Exactly. Which is the principle of peacemaking, which is part of what I'm examining in my doctorate. But Henderson would say, what, God? Go again. God, them. God, them. Us. Us. Me. Me. I would question, what do we mean by God? Mm, yeah. Like, um, God didn't write the Bible. Right. Uh, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible, but 66 books, uh, close to 40-odd authors, you know, so when, so when Moses is writing the Torah, mm. arguably, some people don't think he wrote yeah. Genesis, but you know, um, it's hard to answer that question. I would more so critique it as what's the author trying to say right. in context with the spirit, pointing towards Jesus for us to move, act, and be in the mm. world now. Wow, that's very interesting. Mm. I love what you said that we don't really critique much, or we haven't ever critiqued, or we don't know how to critique in the uh, church. In the church, it's yes. True. Yep. Um, I've I've definitely have found that a bit too because, you know, growing up in my um, with my parents and all that, you know, you gr- I grew up thinking about you know the whole rapture and, um, mm. you know, being left behind and you know the books and the videos yep. of people are gonna disappear, mm-hmm. all that stuff and um, it's crazy because you know when I went to college I learned more about what that actually meant and mm-hmm. just the context of all of all of that stuff and, you know. I kind of I kind of know a bit more now and understand that it's it's very you know revelate the book of revelation is more of a um I guess um imagery and very apocalyptic, poetic, yeah, apocalyptic yeah. and all yep. stuff like that mm-hmm. um but it's crazy because even back in in my hometown or even like what talking to people how they believe stuff like that it, it it's very crazy and cuz one of the best books I ever read was um surprised by hope by N.T. Wright great Great book. And Great I love book. it. And it, it really, I got my dad to, to read it too. And he's Good. loving it. He's Good. loving it. Good. But um, it's just crazy because so many times, basically what the book is talking about is how we've gotten our hope wrong mm-hmm. in the past. You know, our hope has always been, oh, let's go to heaven and not go to hell. Or, you know what? But in that time when Jesus was was around, he never, it was never, people were, were wondering, oh man, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. It was never about that. Nope. It was about bringing heaven here on earth. It was mm-hmm. about getting out of out of slavery and being free. Mm-hmm. It was about somebody coming and saving them to set them free. And they, they believed that that was Jesus, the Messiah. And then when he dies, like, dang, 
even yeah, then we, totally. we miss it. So totally. then he comes back to life, and it's totally. it's the whole thing. But I think that 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 main um, that main I guess um, that main part of the, of the of the Bible of of why we even like have a hope mm-hmm. has hasn't been criti- hasn't been critical criticized much to people that believed the other way of just going to heaven totally. and not going to hell. Yep. Um, anyway, I just want to throw that in there because it's huge. You got anything to say about that? Well, what's interesting is that um, even to critique the notion of hope, yeah. Um, if I may, that um, hope often acts as a panacea, uh, meaning like um, if we have a headache, mm-hmm. what do we go take? Uh, Tylenol or ibuprofen or whatever. All those ones, right? Yeah. The way hope is often preached in the church is like a Tylenol. Like no matter what you're going through, just have hope. Right. And instead of actually what what I'm what I'm beginning to see and understand that God is actually asking us to do is to actually enter into that uncertainty. Because what the Tylenol does is it has a retreat to a certain type of um, a certain type of certainty. Right. But uh, doubt is, uh, or faith and doubt are not opposite. Right. Faith wow. and uncertainty is. That's so good. Wow. Sorry, faith and certainty. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think that we've misunderstood, you know, how we've meant to move, act, and be in the world that it's when we're in that liminal space, in that uncertainty, that's when we grow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and if we're if we if we're not, you know, really believing that greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world, then uh, very rarely do we allow ourselves to exist in that space of uncertainty and allow ourselves to exercise that faith. Right. Wow. That's so good because I feel like we are so scared to question. We are so gar- we're so scared to um, not be certain. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because we've always been certain with with what mm-hmm. you know what we believe. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, and like you know, there are certain things that we probably need to put stakes in the ground for. Right, right. Um, I think when when we kind of do our exploration, I tend to always say that you know everything is up for grabs except the sovereignty of God. Right. Because that's something that no matter how much I question, I can't actually pin down. Right. So as me being a follower of Christ, loving Jesus. God is always sovereign. God knows. Um, and that's not like a God of the gaps idea, but, but, it's a, but it's me continuing to exist in that space of uncertainty. Right. Going, I'm always on a journey. And then as I get to those things that I've resolved, then I put a stake in the ground. Like, yes, Jesus did die and Jesus did rise again. Great. Now, I can kind of argue that, but I don't have to continue to return to that knowing... Or asking like, oh, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. It's like, no, no, like that, that I know. Right. And then I also know that God loves me. Right. Because of that, and then that actually gives us the freedom to go and question, critique, um, knowing that we always want to be hard on systems and soft on people. Say it again. Knowing that we want to be hard on systems and soft on people. Wow, that's so good. I love that because we've been hard on people. And soft on systems. Yeah, oh, yeah totally. And <laughs> and it's really intriguing because we conflate, we bring together that a person's belief is their identity. 
when actually they're just merely trying to work everything out. Like we're all on a journey. Yeah, we're all sure. trying to work everything out. Um, and um, and so um, like like a mentor of mine. Um, His name is Joe Martinez. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Absolutely. Um, would always say that um, we need to always accept things with open hands. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, uh, can you catch anything if your hands are closed? And he like, you know, we'll go with the baseball idea. And he threw me a baseball hmm. and I couldn't catch it with one hand. I found it really hard to catch it with two. With your hands closed. Yeah. Right. Like with fists because right. you're holding on to things so exactly. certainly. Um, and with so much, you know, like belief that if that part of your life was to crumble, I wonder if everything would. Wow. And so we have, so we actually need to open our hands and hold so many things loosely, knowing that our perspective, our lens, and what we call our paradigm will shift. And I hope it does. It has to. Um, and, you know, there, there are these burning bush moments um, that we all have that, um, that cause us to recalibrate, reorganize, and reposture how we engage with the world and you know continually ask the daily question what does god require of me today yeah and not so much as a principle but as a practice wow that's so good i love that it um it reminds me more it reminds me a bit of um a class i took in in college called uh it was a psalms class i believe and one of the greatest things i ever learned was just how much david questioned and got mad at god dude it is okay to get mad at God. I know. It's okay to lament. Um, I read a book earlier in the year that actually, you know, goes through this idea of the imperative of lamenting, which yeah. is, you know, like this grievance almost of emptying yourself yourself of God. Right. Until you come to a point where you actually have a more correct understanding of who he is and how he's moving in that moment. Yeah, it's so good. Even that book by C.S. Lewis, the, um, where he writes about how his wife died, and he just talks about how he felt. Surprised by joy? No, no, no. A Grief Observed? Grief Observed, yes. Yep. Grief Observed. That was a good book, too. Yeah. I loved it. So I did a paper back in seminary where I critiqued uh, The Problem of Pain, which mm -hmm. was his yep. um, academic kind of deconstruction of what pain is mm -hmm. with a grief observed wow which was his existential how was that but that was amazing dude i can give you the paper if you want oh yeah i would he, love to read that he gave me an a minus so <sighs> yeah i know why uh probably because i was australian but <laughs> but like you know there 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 is this reality that we have between how we perceive that we'll grief or that we'll go through the grief of pain mm. but then what happens when we truly suffer and that as like a process of a transformation um yeah that's really good yep i love that um i remember well that's long ago whenever we whenever a lot of a lot of the you know george floyd and mm -hmm. just everybody you know it, it just came out like really early on this year yep and we went and to go protest and stuff and i remember hearing um, a little bit of like kind of how you started down this journey of like, mm -hmm. um, you know, going into black theology and studying more about this stuff. Um, cause you recently, cause you had a, you had a family member, right. Or something like that, that ended up passing away or something or 
So what happened was that um, kind of my kind of entrance into black theology um, was I was at Fuller Seminary mm-hmm. and it was right after Michael Brown was killed. Yeah, right. Um, and a buddy of mine who I consider one of my closest friends and mentors in life was um, going to Ferguson and he's like, you need to come. Right. And so uh, I was very ignorant, not really knowing what was going on, not knowing like the context of Rodney King and, and you know, the deep history of police brutality here right. in the US. Uh, went on this journey of about, you know, uh, probably a good eight or nine months of, you know, between here and Ferguson in St. Louis, LA and Oakland, LA and Baltimore yeah. at the death of Freddie Gray and understanding, actually trying to get a glimpse and immerse myself existentially in the complexity of racial injustice, right. racial violence, and really wondering why does the church not have an ethic, not have a social ethic in how to deal with this? Yeah. Um, and I realized after being on the ground in Ferguson, understanding things here in Oakland, understanding, um, you know, what went on in, and what continues to go on in Baltimore, um, that, the, that um, there was a need in the church at large to create a social ethic about how to engage in this. Right. Language, practice, posture, um, because the church then, that was back 2014, 2015, and still now, uh, I'd say is impotent in, in knowing how to actually be on the front foot, create a framework, and participate in the transformation. People say that, you know, they really want the church to be the answer. Right. Uh, the church can only be the answer if it's asking itself the the right questions wow. and uh, and I don't think at the moment they have uh, the frameworks to uh, deeply ask themselves the questions that's, that need to be asked so part of what I'm doing in my doctorate is examining uh, you know what is a, a thick and robust way of engaging in this space and place uh, for the church at large in general um, and using uh, the ethic that is just peacemaking uh, as an adaptation in the context of race. Because uh, people need tools. Yeah. You know, to like build a house, you need a hammer, at least. So, you know, this or is... Or a screwdriver too. Or a drill bit. Drill bit, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah um, that's that's really good. Um, ignorance, you said, is has been a main a, a bit of a, a thing that's been going around, I guess, more in regards to the church and how they've been... In, how the church has responded to, um, you know, the whole situation with racism. I yep. feel like it's been, has it been handled well? It hasn't, no. Um, what do you think would be a starting, a good starting point for churches that want to be better at handling that better, handling that well? Sure. Um, I know it's a pretty big question. No, no. Another one of my mentors, Ben McBride, who yep. Legend. lives yep. here in Oakland. Um, and he got this from somewhere else, but I'm going to say it came from him. Uh, always ask, uh, in moments of crisis, we always ask ourselves, what must I do? Right. Or what must the church do? Mm-hmm. Um, and he says that's an incorrect analysis of what our first question needs to be. Our first question should be, who do we want to become? 
And so I think what, what we need to do as a people, mm-hmm. you and me, but also um, the church, needs to uh, ask themselves creatively and use the social imaginary that God has given us to say, what type of people do we want to become? Right. Uh, do we want to be ones that are, um, you know, the answer and bringing the answer of justice and love? Cornel West says, um, justice is what love looks like in public. Wow. Um, and um, are we then equipping ourselves to equip those around us to bring justice and love to the context that we walk into. Right. I don't think the church is uh, willing to go the extent to which it probably needs to, to answer that question of becoming robustly enough. Right. Um, so I think what it needs to do is it really needs to look at its social structures, needs to look at its leadership, and first of all, understand that representation means everything. What do you mean by that? Um, okay. Um, can we talk about our church? Yeah, go ahead. Great. All right. When you look at leadership, uh-huh. uh, without naming names, uh, who's in charge? What type of people? Pretty much white. Or is that what you mean? White men, right? White men, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, they themselves as individuals are not the problem. But the system and the biases that they embody are part of it. Right. So... Um, what justice looks like is these men in power who have the power to make these decisions saying, you know what, representation by having a female or a person of colour or a female who's a person of colour um, as a lead or campus pastor. Right. That's big. Yeah, right. Um, Kelly and I were down in front of the Golden Gate Bridge yesterday morning before... Um, our gathering in front um, at Chrissy Field. Right. And we got down there maybe at eight o'clock, the fog's in, you know. It's beautiful. I love it. And we were drinking coffee, watching the surf. And I didn't know that people could surf under the bridge. Oh, wow, really? Dude, like it's insane. Like it was coming through maybe a good three to four foot swell. And we were probably there maybe 40 or 45 minutes. And then out of nowhere, these two girls in their wetsuits, jog past us. One was American, one was an Aussie. Um, what, and the Aussie was actually a pro surfer. Oh, wow. And there was this family to our left. They would have been Latino. Um, and uh, they had three girls, all probably under seven. And when these three girls saw the two female surfers jogging past, jumping down on the rocks and jumping in, they went ballistic in really? such a good way. They wow. were so full of joy. And, you know, saying like, I want to surf. Yeah. Like, um, too often uh, people aren't given the opportunity to see who they can become because they're not shown examples of what they could become. So if we're in a church context where only or predominantly white males are in leadership, uh, more than 50% of the church are being told that due to their ethnicity or their gender that they can't lead. Wow. Let me ask you this, because I've thought about that before. Do you think it's wrong? I mean, this is like a very blank statement, but I've thought about it because do you think it's it's bad or wrong or whatever you want to put in it 
when we decide to maybe let's say oh let's let's put them in leadership because we need to have more women or more people of color in leadership is that wrong or is it because you know you start to try to get the mindset is did they do it on purpose or did they do it on accident by just the way they think you know what i mean because then you start thinking about that like i'll, I'll give an example so let, let's say um let's say that i'm leading a church and um I'm saying, man, you know what? We don't have very many women leading. Let's get some more women leading. Do you think that that's a good way to come about it, or would it be better? I mean, or should it should it be more of like they're showing that they they have the ability to do it? Let's put them in leadership despite who they are. You know what I mean? I think that's that a really good question. Yeah, and it should be straightforward, but it's complex. Right. Um, I think we live in a fake meritocracy where we give out the perception. That the best, most talented, God, you know, God ordained, are put in these positions of leadership and power, yeah. um, and that's why it should be. You know, if you're called by God and you're equipped to do, you have the gift, talents, and abilities to do so. Right. Then do it. Yeah. But we all have biases. For sure. And our biases um, come up not uh, not in our principles. Like we hear in the church, especially in the evangelical movement, that. Uh, we need to think about our biblical principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we need to kind of reshape our language and think more about practices because practices take principles and they contextualize it. Right, wow. And the way that we do church in Sydney, Melbourne, London... Uh, South Africa. South Africa will should be different to the way we do it in San Francisco. 100%. Or in Oakland. Yeah. So... Um, I think that when you then look globally at any church movement or locally uh, that um, people seek to replicate what they know without contextualizing and doing the critical creative work, then they miss the point. Before we get to leadership, as an example, like in Australia, Uh Sunday night church is a big thing. Yeah, Aussies love it. Going to football and going to church. Um, and Sunday morning church is really just for families. Right. In America, Sunday night church ain't a thing. Yep, that's true. Like, people just want to go home. Yeah. And Same. so, yeah. <laughs> especially if you've got to like, if you've got to like bump out, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That's a whole other story for another time. But especially if there's a, a game going on, usually you just want to go watch a game, Sunday night football game. Yeah, and and you know, like God is as present at the football game as yeah. he is, you know, in a building. Right. So, um, I, I think it's intriguing that, uh, church practices don't change to the cultural context that they're in. Right. That being said, um, if in, in a context like San Francisco or LA or anywhere in the U S where you have gifted females or females of color or people of color, um, they should be put in leadership and they should be entrusted. But the biases of those above them almost act like a bias uh, that's a gatekeeper right. and says, oh, no, no, only certain people that look, act and think like me. Uh, that's very interesting. As a critique. Yeah, wow. Yeah. You know, um, I've just recently come about some leadership opportunities that I have uh, personally Yep. And one thing that I've been trying to do is get people on my team that do not think or look mm-hmm. or talk like me. Beautiful. Because I know for me, 
even if I have more than one one of the same me, it's gonna be terrible. Because, um, <laughs> like, I feel like you know, um, I have a really weird way of thinking, but I love the way I think. But I know if there's two of me that think the same, we're gonna get anything done because mm-hmm. I like to have fun. I like to like. I don't like to really plan too much. I just like to just go about it and just do it. You know what I mean? You dance. Yeah, I dance. I, mm-hmm. you know, I will, I will get in trouble and then ask for forgiveness afterwards, you know? Seek permission or forgiveness. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but I feel like um, for me, it's just kind of a no brainer of wanting to get people that are not like me at all yes. to, be, to help lead. Cause I know that they're going to be seeing a different perspective than what mm-hmm. I see. They're going to yes. be thinking differently. They're going to yep. be doing things like that and all that. How do you think is the best way to um, maybe find those people, you know, or, or I guess maybe um, even think that way better. Think, totally. think of uh, like how I can find people that are not like me. Because so many times you want to get people that are like you because you feel like you're the best you, you know what I mean? And, and you're going to be the best out there. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a thing that we all, we all have mm-hmm. in, in, ingrained in us. I think, yep. how do you think the best way to come about that? Well, what's interesting is that, uh, evidence shows that the more diverse a leadership team is or a team in general, mm-hmm. uh, the more productive, the more effective and a more, the more efficient they actually are. And it goes on that proverb, right? Of as iron sharpens iron, so, one, so right. one person sharpens another. How to go about that? Um, I think um, for me, it always comes back down to the metaphor of common ground. Like, are you able to find common ground Mm. with a common vision irrespective of going about it in in a different way? Right. So can you find common ground in posture? So, like, my my last name's Castle, yours is Martinez. Let's go. Um, Ethnically, you tell me there's a bit of Mexican in you, right? Yeah, right. Yep. There's no Mexican in you. Si, senor. Yeah. <laughs> Gracias, amigo. Mm-hmm. Um, Doing it. Thanks. Um, I try. And so then there's this idea, though, that like if I wanted more little Tobies or you wanted more little Joes, which I know you want little Definitely Joes. Definitely there will be soon. You want some Not soon. Joes. Well, yeah. Okay. Once I get married, totally, and once yeah. I go through the whole process of even finding a woman. But yes, that's a whole other subject. For another podcast. Yes. Um, is that like that kind of path of least resistance? actually isn't effective. So um, if a person has common ground with you in common vision, you know, and that could be as general as I want to see young adults or Mm -hmm. I want to see a city influenced by the love of Jesus. Right. Okay. I would then encourage whoever's in leadership to then go, does that person reach a different part of the city than I do? Mm. If they do, then let's, find out ways in which I can champion and maximize their ability to do so. And then find common ground towards our common vision, which which is that they experience the love of Christ. So So many times we start from the common vision and go from there. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, um, I guess. Yeah. So like, like I'm a visual guy. So like Mm. if you were, uh, you know, have like a V what's the most common thing in which you can find a common ground on, which would be a vision. Like I want to see people experience the love of Christ, which usually is found in a question. 
And the question would be probably for San Francisco or Oakland or the Bay Area. Would the Bay Area or would the cities of Oakland and San Francisco uh, miss anything or realize that the church wasn't here if it didn't exist? Wow, that's a good question. So if, wow. if the city wouldn't realize it's missing anything, even with the church here, how is the church functioning and practicing? Right. So then you would go, okay, I'm Joe Martinez. I'm Toby Castle. What uh, spaces and places do we move in? And then what's our common question or our common vision? How do we lead people to Christ and move, act and be in their understanding of Jesus right. to then love others as they have been loved in their own unique way without trying to make them mini versions of ourselves? Yeah. I would say that's probably the first step in many other ways in trying to find common ground while maximizing a person's gifts, talents, and right. abilities. Wow. That's really good. I love that. Um, I kind of want to ask you this question. Um, I'm asking you a lot of questions, but that's okay. This is why you're here. <laughs> um, so like for me, I've noticed a few things and cause I kind of want to talk, I kind of want to make sure we cover people that are listening if they're not Christians as well. Of course. You know? Um, I don't even believe, but have seen Christians re- react and do terrible in the situation. Because I've seen it so many times on my Facebook feed. <laughs> uh, one thing that I noticed one time the other day, um, someone posted on my Facebook. Um, some people from back in, in Texas. And they said, um, who was it? Well, basically they said, if if they were just following the rules, then this wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. You know? In regards to COVID or in no, regards to in regards to, like, to, I think, I believe George Floyd. George uh, Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, yeah, Brianna Taylor, Everybody getting, yeah, getting yeah. shot, stuff yep. like that. And they're Christians, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that really, that really, you know, made me a bit angry because as Christians, we should never come about it that way, ever. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Bible says that we should love one another. Mm-hmm. It, even goes for, it, goes, it goes further, it says we should love our enemies, yep. you know. Mm-hmm. And... um you know, it says it's easy to love your enemy. It's easy to love those who love you back. It's easy to give to those who can pay you back. It's easy mm-hmm. to, you know, do those things. But yep. us as Christians, we're called to go above and beyond. And, mm. you know, and for me, it just kind of like, I feel like people have seen Christians in the wrong spectrum or in the wrong light lately mm-hmm. of, oh, you know, this and that. But it's like, no, we should come about it this way. Um, what would you say to, first of all, the non-Christians that see Christians act this way? Mm-hmm. And secondly, what would you say to the Christians that are acting this way? Okay, so first of all, to the non-Christians. Yes, those that don't believe in God. I'd say I apologize for uh, the representation of Jesus and the perception in which a person says they follow Christ, which seems to be in the absence of understanding Jesus uh, connected to justice. Um, I apologize that that their um, understanding of Jesus was too thin, that their understanding of Jesus was all about rules, when actually it's not. Yeah. And so I apologize for their misunderstanding. Yeah. And I apologize on behalf as well. Mm-hmm. I. It just makes me angry because I... I like I love people so much and I want to mm-hmm. see the best and, mm-hmm. and I want to see them make it. And for us as Christians to 
misrepresent what love actually is. It just mm-hmm. really like makes me sad. You know, yeah. I, like I just want to freaking cry right now just thinking about it. But it's just like, yeah, that I'm sorry for those that, you know, that have seen the misrepresentation of who Jesus is. And if it pushes you away from God, please don't let it because he's different than what we mm-hmm. represent. And you are loved and we love you. And nobody ever deserves to be shot or to be killed ever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're, we're not the ones that, that give justice out. Mm-hmm. We're the ones to love, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Then to Christians. To Christians, yeah. <laughs> to Christians, I would say there's no such thing as blue lives. Yeah. Um, it is possible for law enforcement to uh, go about their day uh, without wearing the uniform. It is impossible for a person of color to go about their day without embodying their skin color and the uh, racial vilification that comes with that in this country, as well as in other countries. Um, For anyone at any time to say that all lives matter is an abomination. And it is a complete misunderstanding of uh, Jesus and his connection to justice. If a person has ever said all lives matter, uh, then the notion of Christ and justice hand hand in hand has never been part of their theology. Uh, So Christians need uh, a a thicker understanding of Christ in regards to justice because those who don't, um, Reggie Reggie Williams, who wrote a book, Bonhoeffer's Black Jesus, uh, when he's talking about Bonhoeffer, would argue that those who don't associate themselves with Jesus in the context of justice always find themselves unable to engage well in social justice issues and then make the argument that justice is not a central cause of the church. When actually wow. you, you look at how Jesus moved, act, moved, acted, and embodied his life, uh, you know, he was with the marginalized. Yeah. He turned over the tables in the temple. Um, he critiqued the Pharisees. And in his parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, there have, there have been arguments. I've seen that um, people have said that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. Jesus is telling the story. Yeah. Like when he begins that and says um, a Pharisee, a, Le- a Levite and a Samaritan, people were expecting him to, to, to actually say a Pharisee, a Levite and a Jew or a Hebrew. Right. Because everything in that context in first century Palestine was Jewish. People forget that, that Jesus was actually a Jew. Mm. And so for him to talk about a, uh, Samaritan was actually talking about a social outcast, a person who was a half-caste. Right. And so Jesus was immediately political, not in the context that, you know, he's telling you to vote blue, blue or red. Right. But he's saying we need an ethic socially so we can know how to navigate the complexities that we uh, engage with uh, every day of the week. Yeah, wow. Well. Uh, so I would say to Christians... You need a thicker understanding of Jesus. Yeah. Wow. And what can they do 
to get a thicker understanding of Jesus? Um, first of all, uh, I think we all need continually uh, to be honest with ourselves. Um, there's a book by David Benner called The Gift of Being Yourself, okay. where I think you and I were going to read that together. Maybe we weren't. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we should. Um, we were supposed to read one, and we did, I never finished it. I think we my... got, what, two chapters in? Yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> um, and so he argues that knowledge of self and knowledge of God go hand in hand. So it's the double helix of knowing yourself. So whether you start with God or you start with yourself, you end up with the other. I think um, as we start to learn ourselves and we examine ourselves, but also in the communities we exist in, mm-hmm. um, we need to ask ourselves the question, how diverse are they? We also need to look at our libraries of what we're reading. Mm. First of all, ask ourselves, are we reading? Because, right. you know, this is a bit of a cliche, but readers are leaders, leaders are readers. And if you're not reading, you don't have anything to say. Are you a fan of audiobooks? Dude, absolutely. Okay. People, sometimes people say... Absolutely. Yeah. Like that podcast, like, you know, as long as information is right. coming in that you're willing to critique and wrestle with, it, it, it's like going to the gym. Um, and so, you know, people can begin to diversify their library or their audio library. Mm-hmm. That uh, People need to... Uh, be okay with asking themselves tough questions. People need to be okay with asking themselves to what extent does their understanding of Jesus go hand in hand with justice? Right. Uh, Because Jesus was not only uh, one who embodied love, because God is love, but Jesus also gave us the frameworks to create a just society by bridging across difference and engaging with people that do not act or think like you and me. Mm. And we need to engage with those people more often than we don't. Yeah, I agree. That's really good. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you another question too. And these are, I have some good questions. Keep going. Um, but are you familiar a lot with like our, um, politics and you know just the whole Mm -hmm. um, presidential race at the moment absolutely Um, I wanted to talk to you about a certain situation um, because a lot of people I've heard they one of the biggest things that people are voting like Christians are voting for Trump is because um, the um, the uh, sorry my mind just went blank sorry Whenever um, they kill their babies, what is it called? Abortion. Abortion. <laughs> I can't think of the word. <laughs> um, and so, you know, they're 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 going, you know, let's vote for Trump. Because um, I'm pro-life. Yeah, because I'm pro-life. And yep. um, I'm thinking about that a lot. And I had a conversation with a few people. I won't, I won't say who, but um, they are Christians. And I think one thing we kind of came across or kind of thought about is how we should not be... Um, trying to make, I guess, or trying to vote on laws that go with, or tr- I guess trying to control people by our ethics and morals. Mm-hmm. And um, as a Christian, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because right now people are, are wanting to to vote for, for Trump 
and they're saying, you know, this is a better or it's, it's better vote because we're trying to save lives. And I get where they're coming from. But I believe that when we begin to try to control people by what we believe are morals, it's, it's a very sticky situation. And it can, yeah. it can cause some bad things. Um, for me, I guess my, my, my come, like come about, about it is, you know, okay, you're voting for your Trump because you want to save lives. I get that. But what are we doing now in regards to adoption, mm-hmm. in regards to mm-hmm. um, giving women, like protecting women and helping them out mm-hmm. in these situations? What yep. are we doing in regards to that? Because we all want to vote for this, but what are we doing as an action as a Christian? Totally. And my, my question to you would be, do you think that, um, I guess, trying to vote to control based on our morals and ethics is a good way or a good thing or no. I, I pretty much know your answer, but I just want to kind of hear your kind of perspective on that. If you can, what do you think I'm going to say? You're going to say that, no, it's not good to try to control people in regards to what we believe as a, as our morals. Mm. Like, so I think that the, I think there are probably three or four things on the table. Okay. First of all, should um, how close should our faith be with our politics? Yeah, that's a good question. Should our, and this is kind of part of the same idea still, yeah. um, should the church be political? Mm. I guess, you know, is another thing. Another right? good question. And I think we misunderstand what we're asking when we say that. Mm. People interpret that as, should we use the platform or the pulpit to tell people how to vote Vote, yeah i don't think we should right um should the church be political meaning act itself in the polis in latin which is like in the public square Mm -hmm. absolutely like the role of the church is to equip the saints for public daily practice right to embody their faith in the way the way being following the teachings and practice of christ right and you know, our orthodoxy is right thinking, which is what the church tries to do. And then orthopraxy is right practice. Um, and the church needs to equip its people, the saints, to then allow them to navigate the complexities themselves. Right. Uh, the church should never be married to the state. Mm-hmm. So America, the US, is a Christian state based on its constitution right um but i argue that it should be secular in in the way that the church should be like the moral guidance and should help um a group of people navigate complexities right so people then should show should then vote the way their faith leads them to in regards to abortion though Mm. um how can how can a person vote uh, pro-life and not vote for a system that then protects those uh, young humans that come into this world um, that then get lost in poverty. It's almost an insufficient or incomplete ethic right. that if we're going to be pro-life because we don't want people to kill, to what extent are we basically killing people by placing them in poverty. Yeah, well. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Like, it needs to be a complete ethic where, you know, yes, we have adoption. 
but what is the social system, what's the social safety net that says if a person is born into this world and they're born to a single mother or a father in case, you know, the mum passes away, to what extent does the state protect that person to get a free education, right. free healthcare? Wow. Um, I think at the moment, uh, the argument for abortion is incomplete. Mm. And so people start yelling at each other without actually listening and again, trying to find common ground. Right. Because the ultimate vision should be human flourishing for the common good. Right, wow. But at the moment, it's, well, we just don't want babies to die. But everybody else is okay. But but once you're alive, good luck. Yeah. It's like, no, that's insufficient. Jeez, that's so that's that's a great way to put it. We want we want to save them, but once they're alive, you're on your own. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Like, you know, but even even uh even a, a plant needs nurturing. Yeah. Needs watering, mm-hmm. needs weeding. Uh especially at an at like a sapling age. But it seems that this argument uh, disregards that social context and that social safety net that brings people towards practices of human flourishing for the common good. Wow. That's so good. I really, really appreciate you answering that question. Um, it's, a good, it's a good thought, and I think um, I hope this helps because one thing that I want for this podcast is people to be enlightened but also to question mm-hmm. and ask themselves the right questions of, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing or why yeah. am I deciding to do this? And I really hope this is helping people. Um, we're we looking forward to next year personally. So I love that question because yeah. um, uh, about maybe two or two and a half years ago, um, I was like seeing my counselor, which I encourage everyone to do, like see a counselor, see a, uh, a psychologist because it really helps, you know, you navigate all the I agree. complexities. Uh, it's like going to the gym for um, mental health. Yeah. Um, and if you need uh, recommendations, ask myself, ask Joe, ask Kelly. Well, I was here to help for sure. Absolutely. Um, Kelly is his wife, Castle. Yep. Um, and... She's she's great. Um, what did she do? Uh, she does a number of things. Yeah. She's a pastor at Hillsong San Francisco. She is. Uh, actually started it here. Yeah, she did. Uh, years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she's also a sports and performance psychologist. Yeah, she's killing it um, in both. And mentors a lot of student athletes and pro athletes. Um, so get in contact with Joe and we can connect you um but i was talking with her and that is my counselor and uh she said i want you to do a practice of self-care or what we're now going to call toby care mm-hmm. uh, so we can call it joe care as Joke well care. and it's a three-in-one where every evening or one time during the day you need to write down three things you're thankful for mm. that have occurred in the last 24 hours and one thing you're looking forward to in the next 24 hours. Wow. So um, from Kelly's and my first date, um, we've done that every day. Wow. Whether we were talking on the phone in San Francisco and Australia or, you know, even when we're like doing the dishes or like getting ready to go to bed. 
Um, but um, what am I looking forward to 2021? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking forward to a number of things. Like I'm looking forward to uh, being able to fly. Uh, like Superman, like the power. Uh, more like a jump on a plane. Okay, fair. Um, at the moment, travel even domestically is uh, is a little bit hard for us all right. in this COVID moment. Um, I'm looking forward to working um, and I'm looking forward to uh, being able to uh, continue the work and building a community uh, that you and I are in yeah. uh, to really... Uh, kind of lean into that question of uh, does cities of San Francisco and Oakland and the Bay Area, do they, uh, would they miss the presence of our community here yeah. if if it was to stop? That's great. Um, and kind of use that as a constant guiding question for me and us as we move into the next year. I love that. I. Um, what I, about you? Oh. That's a good question. I did not expect you to ask me that question. I haven't um, asked you one yet. Yeah, I guess what I'm looking forward to next year is, um, you know, this this year, although it's been tough for a lot of people, it's been really good for me. And I, I kind of feel bad saying that sometimes because you know, I feel like people have struggled a lot. And if you are, hit me up because we always try to help out, even mm-hmm. like with our church, we try to help out people. And Absolutely and do things for people. So hit us up if you are needing some help. But um, for me, you know, I've been able to save up money. I've been able to, um, you know, work on my health. Mm -hmm. I've been able to um, kind of get a perspective of what I want to do for the future. And it's been really good. You know, this podcast started during this, um, this time. Um, And so I guess what I'm looking forward to is just me actually being able to thrive, mm. you know, these, mm-hmm. these past few years I've been, um, not thriving. What's the, what's the opposite of thriving? If you're not, uh, suffering, I guess. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess I have been suffering. No. Um, but yeah, it's just, um, scrambling, surviving. I've been surviving. surviving. Yeah. It rhymes. Okay. Th- thrive and survive. I've been surviving and, and I feel like this next year is going to be really good for me just to be able to thrive and, what I've been doing and just getting better and just, you know, going from this year and just being able to go to the next year, just killing it. You know, I don't know what's going to happen next year, but one thing I do know is that, um, it, it all starts from that foundation of what I'm building towards. And I think this year has really helped me to like get each day better and better each day. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so, Absolutely. It's that whole domino effect, or not domino, the iceberg effect of where no one really sees what you're doing and mm-hmm. no one really sees how, how it's been tough. And, and you, you kind of know a bit of, of how tough it's been. We talked, we talked probably, what, two years ago or two yeah, and a half years ago? Yeah, man, like, um, no one has it all together. Yeah. And, and it really is in those moments of um, isolation that we really process and then begin to imagine who we want to become. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, Absolutely. so that's I'm looking forward to thriving. Um, I'm excited for next year, man. Just and I also wanted to say, when whenever you're you were saying what you're um, looking forward to next year, of how we are going to like help cultivate, I guess you know our community and yep. you know be the make sure that if we ever do leave, 
that we'll make a stick in the ground and people will know that if we're gone or not or if we're yeah, there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I was going to say that you're doing a great job doing that, by the way, because um, for me, I was, I was thinking about even before all this, when um, when the whole, you know, um, just the uh, us going out and um, oh, geez, I'm losing all my words today. Marching. Protesting. Yeah, marching and protesting. Yeah. I was just so, so stoked of having you here around because, you know, um, we're able to learn from you and we're able to Thanks, like. Man. You know, um, take stuff that we've never thought about and um, and be able to learn. And you, and you have so many great resources. And um, thank you for that. Thank you for just you know studying before to be able to, for times like these that we need mm. the right information. And not saying that you're perfect and you have everything all together. But, I definitely don't. No. But you have been able to help. You know, especially being a white man, understanding that this is a, a very huge like thing that we must counter and we must like take mm-hmm. care of as a church and, yeah and as being you know people that are predominantly white we need to make a change absolutely you know? yeah and i love that and, and thank you for you know doing that and and you know studying before and taking all those doing all that homework absolutely <laughs> man well i i like to take a moment to uh to affirm you because uh, as uh one who has uh deep grit and stickability mm. um like people often say that leadership is, you know, like, you know, people that um, those who are like on platform or like, you know, they cast a vision. Um, leadership also is influence, but leadership is also conviction of knowing who we are yeah. and who we want to become. Um, we can't lead, lead, lead others unless we lead ourselves first. True. And I've got to say in you, mate, that over the last... Uh, definitely seven months since I've been here but the uh, two and a bit years that I've known you uh, since tacos um, (laughs) that um, I've seen you kind of really transform into this person that really knows themselves better than most people uh, who are uh, on platform or behind a pulpit or writing books or you know doing other podcasts or like I can really see that you're coming into your lane and building a foundation uh, for you to kind of launch off for what's coming next. Thank you. Um, and I'm excited about that. And um, I'm looking forward not only of like observing and watching, but also where possible co-creating and building with you as well. I love that. I really appreciate that. Legit. Yeah. It means a lot to me. Um, parting words for everybody that's listening. Um, go easy on yourself. Mm. Be kind to yourself. Yep. Um, I think we put too much pressure on ourselves to try and have all the answers. Um, we're all in it together. Yeah. Um, and when you critique, uh, know that uh, it's like a holistic engagement, not only of the things that you're looking at, also... Um, remember that you're looking at yourself. So when we say be hard on systems, soft on people, we also need to be kind to ourselves. I love that. It's like a whole full circle. We mm-hmm. kind of started talking about, you know, be kind yep. on people and and hard on systems. Mm-hmm. Let's do, keep doing that, but also be kind to yourself. Absolutely. Man. Give yourself grace. Yep. I love that, Toby. 
so much more we can talk about, but I think we're good for the day. Thanks, Ace Jack. Thanks for being on. Legit, we're going to have you on again for sure. Absolutely. Maybe in another year, and we'll see where we're at you Looking know, together to in our lives. Go Astros for the World Series. Let's go, baby. <laughs> Thanks, Toby. Thanks, man. Uh-huh.